And here we are. Welcome. Welcome, welcome. Glad to here we are. everybody's here with the judicious Father Rossi. What's up, everybody? <laughs> All right. You know, we, we, we started, before we started recording, we were talking about our favorite movies. Yes, we were. And my favorite movie is The Shawshank Redemption. And that's been my favorite movie since it came out in 19, gosh, I think it came out in 1994. It's, it's not a kid's movie, that's for not sure. Not a kid's movie, but it's thoroughly, thoroughly Christological. Mm-hmm. You know, Andy Dufresne, innocent, then is put to prison where he dwells among sinners, brings them hope, kind of a message of hope, giving them something to live for. And then he goes down into the bowels of that prison and then up is his redemption. Yeah. Right? Yep. Kind of his resurrection. It's just a beautiful movie. Uh, I just love it. So we were talking it's about a great your, like, what, what are your great favorite narrative. movies? And, and, and Father was just giving off some, like, I thought he was going to talk like these Shakespearean films, but no. <laughs> what about Bob? What about Bob? <laughs> Nobody probably remembers that movie. That's back in the 90s. So that's yes. Richard Dreyfus and um, Richard Dreyfus and Bill Murray. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. They're just a great, great movie. comedy. So, um, yeah. Groundhog just, Day. That's a great Oh, movie. yeah. That's, that's a good movie. I, don't, I think that's sort of. I mean, you're not sure if that's purgatory or what. It's sort of the same day over and over again. Oh, you, one right. can say, as it goes on, it could be, open, it could he, be he sort of like hell. To love. He had to get outside of himself. Yeah, yeah. You know, before he would get out. Of but obviously, that would be purification. But I mean, if you never got out of the same day over and over again, as fun as that seems in the beginning of the movie, living the same day over and over again for eternity, yes, would be hell. That would be, That'd hell. be hell because after a while, you realize everything's meaningless and. No matter what you do, it just doesn't matter, and there's no, there's no. You are alone. Yeah, you are. Yeah, alone, that's yeah. what happens. You realize you're just really, you're the only one who realizes what's going on. That that's Groundhog Day, everybody. It's a very funny movie oh, too. Oh yeah, it's not, hopefully most <laughs> people have heard it as well. Well, but, you know, but of course, I heard somebody discuss like heaven is a. Uh, an eternal now that is ever fresh. Mm-hmm. You know that feeling that you get when something wonderful happens to you, and then of course the moment passes. You know, like the moment you, you know, when you see your bride coming down the, mm-hmm. the, the the aisle, or the birth of your first child, or you win a reward, uh, something, something wonderful. You know that that feeling fades, but heaven is a now. There's no time that we yep. describe to heaven, but it is this open, fresh joy that is ever expansive. Whereas in hell. Everybody's heart is collapsing in on themselves, and it is the monotony. It's just a monotonous. Yep. That's the. Yeah, that that would be what hell is. I remember uh, Stanley Harawas. I've mentioned him before several times in this podcast. Everybody should read Stanley Harawas, and he needs to become Catholic. But anyway, um, he just says in hell everybody gets exactly what they want, um, but what you want is actually hell. So mm-hmm. he says, if you can imagine, maybe it wasn't him, maybe somebody else who said something like that. Like, what do I really want in life? Well, I want to, I want to hit the winning basket for my team, and we win the championship. And then in hell, all you're doing for for all eternity is just shooting, hitting that same shot over and over again. You know, you get what you want. Whereas wow. in heaven, it's so beyond what we can expect, as his Paul says, that it strikes us in, uh, as ever new and ever fresh, because that's who God is. God is ever new, ever borning, ever renewing of himself That's interesting. because of his nature. I've been thinking about that imagination of, or that the imaginative thought of the winning basket. It's like, good. Yay. Do it again. And again. Yay. It's just <laughs> the last 10 minutes of the game, you have to keep reliving, and you're the only one. Wow, that, 
That would be hell. That would be hell, but you get what you want. You know, so very, very interesting. You know, one of my my favorite comedy movies was Weird Science. Did you ever see that? That is a ridiculous movie. <laughs> Maybe I should have uh, uh, John take that out. But anyway, that's not a kid's movie. All those 80 movies were just so inane mm-hmm. and juvenile, but hilarious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like Chet was my favorite uh, like character of the 80s. He's just a bonehead <laughs> <laughs> in every way. Well, I enjoy Star Wars movies, not oh, yeah. the original, as as the, the fans say, the original three. Now? Not much. Yeah. Not the much. last movie I saw was uh, Top Gun Two. That was good. Yeah, that, that was, was a great that was a great movie. movie. Did you ever I, get a to see I saw Maverick. Yeah, and then the first movie, Top Gun. You know. Yeah. Um, no politics involved. I mean, it was nope. just it was just great entertainment. Indiana Jones movies; those were always a favorite of mine growing up. Yeah, Indiana I, I, Jones. I absolutely not, refuse to go see the last. No, one. no, no, no. You yeah. just the ones, the, the original, the ones, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, the Last Crusade. That's actually that's the best one. It really is. That, that is awesome. I never really liked the second one on the Temple of Doom. No, that was not so. And the good. first one was good. A lot of Harrison Ford movies are really, really good. But uh, but anyway, so anyway, we got a big weekend this week here at St. Michael. We're gonna watch all Harrison Ford movies. <laughs> We're gonna watch it all. <laughs> Our faces are going to melt off, you know. <laughs> going to unveil right, if you the tabernacle. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a vivid scene of Razor the Lost Ark. <laughs> that's right. Not for little kids either, probably. Science yeah. fiction. Yeah, but a big weekend. It's uh, the feast of our patron saint, Saint Michael. That's right, which is tomorrow. But we we also who's an angel, not a person. Is he not? He's, he's, an, he's an angel. Just, that's uh, just true. Clear that's true. Confusion. For some of our, maybe our non-Catholic so listeners. So what they are is spirit. Their office is angel, right. which means to carry a message, be a messenger, right? A yeah. message, they carry a message from God. They are messengers. They announce a message. And so right. Michael, Raphael, and Gabriel had uh, some message in, within their, their very name. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I think Raphael is God's healing and Gabriel is God's Strength. Ah, that's right. And, and then, then what is it? Michael and is it? Who is, who is like God? Who is like God? Yeah, his name means that. The rhetorical question is our headmaster so rightly pointed out today during his school announcements. But uh, yes, angels are pers- personified as people, right? In art, we see this all the time because they appear they, in human form when they appear in scripture. Mm-hmm. And any allusions to angels always seem to have, you know, faces of humans and whatnot. But they are not, they don't have bodies. They never have. They're pure a, intelligences, according they're to They're pure spirit, yeah. yeah. They will never have bodies. They never have. They never will. Uh, they're not flesh and fleshed spirits. Human beings are, right? Mm-hmm. You know, we're spiritual human, uh, fleshly mm-hmm. spirit and flesh together. Yeah, we're kind person. of a hybrid. <coughs> yeah, soul and body. We're the hybrid of, of the heavenly realm and the terrestrial realm, mm-hmm. where here is material and bodily, heaven is spiritual. We're both right. in one. So it would therefore follow that a being higher than us would have no body, but would have the rational spirit and soul that we have, which would be the angel. Right. Yeah. Why, uh, why do they call them? I get this question a lot, and maybe we've addressed this before, but it's okay to review. Why do we call angels saints? Why do we say Saint Michael? Because normally people say, well, people become saints. Why right. do we say angels are saints? Well, uh, they're holy, and they are, they're a being, so they, they're individual beings that exist that are created by God. God created all angels. 
And so those that follow the will of the Lord uh, are holy. True. So they choose. The angels ha- have a different way of choosing than we do. They have their superior intellect and their power. I've been told that an, 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 one angel could destroy the planet if allowed, uh, not being able to comprehend how that would be. But uh, they're very powerful beings, far surpassing a human person. And uh, at the moment that they also have free will. Right. So the angels had a moment in salvation history where they were given a, a choice to make a choice for God or themselves. And Lucifer and the others that followed him chose not to serve the Lord and his plan. And the holy angels chose to serve the Lord in heaven. And so we get a little bit of that in Revelation where war broke out in heaven and Michael is fighting with the dragon and so on. So that's where we get that image of Michael, St. Michael fighting. Uh, but the there was only one opportunity for them to make that choice. So those who chose fixed their will for eternity. Why? I mean, that that's could just seem like people say, well, can't, why can't the devil repent? Why can't uh, the fallen angels ever repent? Has anybody ever asked you that question before? Not, not, not to, I mean, it is a, it is a, a, a common question, but they, 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 they wouldn't want to repent, I think would be a way to say it, that they, they knew the choice that was being made, not, and with full understanding and some level, full intellectual um, understanding. See, we don't understand clearly uh, most of the time that we try to follow the Lord's will. We, we, we have some understanding. We embrace his will through, through faith and through grace, uh, which they were offered, right? But ultimately, it was, they were offered, uh, I think, to see that the Lord would become human. That's right. That I've the Lord this, would, yeah. would become n- not an angel, but a human person, a lower than an angel. Right. And he made himself lower. Be, yeah. And the human being would then be in heaven as a queen. Queen of angels is Mary. So there's, you know, angels are going to serve us, and they are sent to serve us, our guardian angels, and they're higher beings than we are. So there, there's a need for humility and obedience in, in, in that plan. So obviously that was rejected. So there was... Um, I don't think the fullness of God's plan was revealed to them and, and because the devil didn't understand exactly how the Messiah was going to be found and discovered and killed and whatnot. So, but there was, a, there was what tradition says is the, the biblical scholars of our tradition say that somehow the devil saw the incarnation Yes. The, the, all the angels saw the incarnation. They saw God becoming man and what that would mean and what that would do. And so there was been a, uh, there was a revolt apparently yes. towards that. Which would make sense because a mortal sin for the church to define it has to be great matter, but then you have to have full knowledge. So an angel rebelling against God would have had full knowledge of what it was doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and therefore, with that kind of knowledge, as you alluded to, it has uh, forfeited any possibility of repentance right? because it did it with absolute knowledge. Whereas we, we're fleshly creatures, we are weak, 
um, we don't often do things with absolute full knowledge. Right. So we're, we we stumble and fall and get up again, and that's how we uh, that's how we move through the journey. Yes. Whereas angels might be seen as just totally athletic and healthy and never ever stumbling ever. Right. So. Yeah, yeah, and I think of course an angel. If you're a being in heaven, you're a saint. Yes. Right. I mean, that's the holy ones. Right. The holy ones. You are a saint. But we only have the names of those three archangels. Right. We don't have the names of. But if if we had the name of an angel revealed to us in Scripture, let's just say Rose, we would say the angel is Saint Rose Mm -hmm. because the angel is. And of course, it does. uh, One thing that uh, my wife pointed out to me is that after the mass. Uh, when the priest will say, all you holy angels and saints, you have to say, make sure you say holy angels and saints because there are unholy angels. That's right. And the, that the probably answers the question about why we call St. Michael's, <clears throat> why they call them saints, because they're holy angels. And there are unholy angels, which right. are the devil and the demons. So It's too so, bad they don't take the form of Michael Landon or Roman Downey. Did you ever see that? Did you ever see Highway to Heaven? No. Growing up, oh, you didn't see that? No. Man, my family loved Highway to Heaven. It was a Michael Landon portrayed. He was the Little House on the Prairie. Okay. Charles Ingalls. Mm-hmm. And I loved Charles Ingalls when I was a little boy because I grew up without a father, and uh, I was just kind of taken by by him. But anyway, in the Highway to Heaven, it's really corny and it's really cheesy and it hasn't aged very well because I've seen reruns of it. He's an angel, and it's his job to go around and do all these assignments uh, for the name, for the sake of the Lord, so he can go back to heaven at some point. So mm-hmm. anyway, we don't have wholesome TV like that, as cheesy as it was. It would be nice to see something that you could really watch with your family. Right. But I do think, and we'll move on to the next topic, but the sentimentality that we often ascribe to angels compared to how they're revealed in Scripture is right. pretty laughable. It's laughable and erroneous. <laughs> But, you know, it, I get it. People like the image of angels and art portrays them as genteel in, in, in many ways. Little cherubs, uh, right? They're little cherubs. Yeah, I mean, and we see that in Scripture, too. There's uh, angels veiling, veiling their faces in Isaiah, right? The, yeah. Uh, they then flew one of the seraphim and with uh, the wings, and there's all these uh, images of the angels in Scripture. So I think that... There, there is that seeing angels just almost just only with faces and little wings behind them and, and, and art has captured angels, captured our imagination rather to try. But in the end, we realize that in scripture, they usually cause fear to whoever they see, and most especially our lady who had no sin and Gabriel had to tell her not to be afraid. Well, what is she afraid of? Well, any angel being beyond our being would cause fear because we don't relate to that kind of a, a being. They are truly not in this right. world. So good or bad, right. evil or holy, they're going to create fear in us if we were to see them because they just don't, they're above our being. Yes. So uh, we should be looking for the real information and knowledge of, of angels from scripture and tradition, of course, and we don't want to lean into the sentimentality that can be out there that is out there on Hallmark cards and whatnot. And we don't want to misguide people either by saying, well, if someone we love dies, that they're now an angel. We got to be very careful when we talk like that because that that's not, we are not becoming a different being and God didn't make us into angels. So we won't become angels. Now we use that, uh, colloquially say, oh, he's an angel, you know, oh, sure. which means, oh, they don't do anything wrong or they're just well-behaved. Well okay, we get that. But the reality is, is 
uh, even naming angels. I mean, some try to name their guardian angel, and the church does not encourage that, uh, that we do that, because we do not have dominion over the angels. Uh, we, so we don't get to name them. Now, maybe someone says, I, I believe my angel's given me their name. Okay, well, the reality is, as church teaches, we know the names of Raphael, Michael, and Gabriel. And we should not try to divine the, the names of any other angels. I believe that. I've read that somewhere. Right. That yeah, could have been out of the catechism, actually. Yeah, yeah. I, I, mean, I will say this. I don't, um, I, I really don't think about my guardian angel all that much. Mm-hmm. I realize that the feast this weekend is the archangels. But I really don't ever think about my guardian angel. Yes, uh, I try to remember to pray to mine every morning. I guess and then when I get in the car, them. often I for a big journey or whatnot, try to pray to my guardian angel. But uh, even just saying, guardian angel, be with me. Guardian angel, help me. Guardian angel, assist me. Help me to pray, adore, worship, love. Guardian angel, help me in this conversation. Praying to another person's guardian angel that you're having a difficult time with. That's sort of been a tradition of some saints to encourage that. But the angels are, are given to us by God as gifts. Yeah, they are. They are uh, to, as to sign yeah. of his love. That we have protection, and most of us don't have any encounters with them, so it's hard. It's, again, it's a matter of faith that I don't know where my guardian angel is. Where is he? Well, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> he's not a physical being. He's so not a being. Yeah, he's I just, mean, a physical being. Yeah. So we're he's, gonna, a, he's pure yeah. intelligence. So I remember spirit when I was a little kid in Catholic grade school. That I don't know. Must have been a priest preaching a homily about the guardian angel, and saying, just imagine your guardian angel sitting right next to you. And I remember sitting in the pew, looking around almost like my little imaginary friend yes. was my guardian angel. Like, where is he going to sit? What's he look like? And Which is fine. I mean, that's just the wonderful. It is good, it's good to encourage devotion to the angels, especially with the little, with little children, uh, to nurture that because they are real. And their sole mission is to, get a, is to make sure we get to heaven. If we do not go to heaven, that guardian angel is a failure yeah. in a sense. I mean, that it's not good. It's, it's, they sort of suffer this... Uh, divine shamefacedness, if you want to call it yeah. that, with just knowing. I heard a priest, um, this is on YouTube, social media, so take it for, for what it's worth, and there's no teaching on it, but I, I was taken by what he said. He said that your guardian angel, the only time that your guardian angel can be with the Lord right now while you live is when you go to adoration. When you don't go to adoration, that angel cannot be in the presence of Jesus. <laughs> like, hmm. uh, I hadn't really thought about that. Sure. You know, but that was an interesting thought. Right. You know, but uh, the church is not pronounced on that. So right, right, it was right. just a nice little. It's good to think that the, the <laughs> guardian angel. Guard, on adoration. Our guardian angel my, is, I'm though. I'm driving my guardian angel. <laughs> is with us during adoration, though. They, yes. That's true. So we remember that we the angels teach us how to pray even at Mass. We A lot of times we're praying, as we say in the preface, uh, we join our voices with theirs. The angels, holy, holy, holy Lord God of hosts. So we sing that great. Um, acclamation of praise that the angels uh, are saying, singing, praising God all the time, and we're joining in their worship. So we're trying to imitate them. Yes, as well. Yep, it's a it's a beautiful thing. I mean, and, and what I love about the mass as a convert is that you're you're almost in like that passage in Hebrews when you have come to the holy mountain of the angels and the saints. And I mean, the patriarchs—they're mm-hmm. all there, right, right there in the mass. Uh, and and I, I remember being very much taken by that 
um, before I converted, like, man, they're, they're all here. Everything is here in the Catholic faith. So it's good to be Catholic. Amen. All right, so uh, a couple things we're going to talk about. Briefly, uh, we're going to follow up from last week's discussion, but that's not going to be our main topic. Our main topic is going to be, you know, what's happening next week in Rome on October the 4th. This is the end of the church as we know it. <laughs> is that a new song? It's, it's the end of the, end of the church, church as we know it. <laughs> And I feel fine. I, feel I don't fine. know if I no, feel fine. No, you shouldn't feel fine. No, I don't feel fine. Right? No, uh, yeah. So the synod on, on synodality is beginning October the 4th. And I'm just going to, I know we've, I've talked about this before, and I've got some articles here. There's a lot of hysteria. And the people who listen to this podcast are going to have the truth, and the truth is going to set them free. Amen. So um, we, I, there was a, I, I had some feedback from last week's podcast. For those who didn't listen, we talked about, um, those within the church, even among the cardinals, about uh, advocating the blessing of same-sex unions, mm-hmm. how we confuse the word union in our country. We think that means marriage, which is uh, a lack of clarity on the part of our language. Um, and then how the, the, the Pope and the, uh, was the Congregation of Faith and Doctrine have closed the door on that because of the confusion. But I, I did want to share at least a, a, a bit of the feedback. And the feedback really can be can be summed up as is this, is that usually when we think about people who are same-sex attracted or when we speak about the LGBTQ community, we reduce it just down to sexuality. We think that's all it's about. But those who are same-sex attracted would say that's not the most interesting thing about us. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not that at all. Um, and so it was the feedback was be careful not to reduce those who are same-sex attracted to we just want to engage in what is reserved for a man and a woman. Mm-hmm. Am I making sense there? Right. So just not reducing it to uh, there's sexual acts always going on. Right. Within right. every same-sex couple that exists. Yes. So that they're to broaden the horizon of right. it's, it's context. More, right. It's, it's, more, it's more than that. And, I, you know, I... If you have any children at home, maybe turn this down. I remember uh, when I was a pastor, there was a conversation. There was a uh, same-sex couple who were uh, well in their 70s. And I remember they said, you know, that's really, <laughs> the sex thing is just really not a part of our lives. It's not the most interesting thing about us. Right. You know, and they were speaking about their deep friendship. Mm-hmm. And, um, and their intimacy to that end. Right. Not in what we would call the conjugality right, uh, right. part of this as well. Yeah. So it was a good, I mean, it was, it's, it's feedback. It was well taken. And uh, I could see why someone might have that interpretation from our conversation last week. Sure. And just to clarify also, again, we did, we were trying to make distinctions last week with the church just teaching on a person with same-sex attraction is, you know, the, that's having homosexual attraction, distinguishing that from homosexual acts, which are sinful and never condoned by the church, but that doesn't condemn and dismiss the person. And as we read from the catechism last week, of course, those with same-sex attractions are to be uh, treated with sincerity, compassion, and charity uh, as they they carry a heavy cross of of that attraction. Mm -hmm. So so I'm glad that, that feedback came. Uh, to us because I, I think also as you and I spoke yesterday the, the culture a lot of the culture that surrounds um, uh, the pride movement right. uh, you know does seem to 
create the context that sexual activity is very much the center. The center. So I, I would say that, that that's important to even say that, uh, that, that the context of the movement can present that for our understanding. So we need to be clear on that. And yes, it's true. We, sh we shouldn't assume that, that every same-sex couple is uh, committing homosexual acts. Right. So uh, fair enough. And, right, fair enough. And, and, it, and it could yeah. very well be why Sean Board, the preeminent theologian, wants the church to be able to say let's bless them but he also admits that number one we have to make sure that we uphold the the sacramentality of marriage between a man and a woman and keeping that separate from what we're asking for to be able to bless these friendships but until we can create clarity there's really not going to be a reconciliation you can't reconcile it right now and that's reason the cfd and the pope has spoken because of the confusion that would, that would ensue as well so um, it was a good discussion. It was good feedback, and it's always worth considering. Right. So thank you uh, for for who uh, brought that to our attention. Okay. So um, October fourth is coming up. The big synod in, in Rome, and um, I'm starting to already get some articles, and people are starting to opine about what's going to happen. I'm not going to mention any names, but uh, there's uh, there's a priest, a few priests out there that have some concerns <laughs> about the synodality. And uh, this priest says this, the motto for this new synodal approach could easily be people, not doctrines, are us. So people are us, forget about doctrine. Uh, this emotion-centered focus is the template for the hope for soft revolution in the church in which Catholic doctrines that contradict decadent Western sexual mores and radical feminist claims of oppression in the church are framed as obsolete, regrettable, and needless sources of discord and alienation as holdovers from a cruel past. Um, pretty strong language wow, there. Yep. Um, first of all, well, let me go re re read a little bit further than this. Okay, so in, in this blog post by this, uh, this priest, he says, he, he quotes Cardinal Jean-Claude Hollerich. You ever heard of him before? Okay, no. so he's the general rapporteur for the October General Assembly. He responded to this question from a Diane Montagna. She says, uh, in the IL, I'm not exactly sure what the IL means, probably what they're discussing at the Senate, how can we create spaces where those who feel hurt and unwelcome... Oh, that's the Instrumentum Laboris. Okay, Instrumentum Laboris. Thank you, Father. How can we create spaces where those who feel hurt and unwelcomed by the community feel recognized, received, free to ask questions, and not judged? In light of the post-synodal apostolic exhortation Amoris Laetitia, we're actually going to talk about that. There's been a lot of confusion about Amoris Laetitia, especially regarding uh, those in irregular marriages. What concrete steps are needed to welcome those who feel excluded from the church because of their status or their sexuality? Isn't the only possible answer to these questions that the church must change her teaching on the inherent immorality of any use of the sexual faculty outside of a lifelong and exclusive monogamous union of one man and one woman? And then Hollerick responds by saying, we do not speak about the church's teaching. That's not our task and not our mission. We just speak to welcome everybody who wants to walk with us. That is something different. And then the blog poster says, well, if it's not talking about teaching, what's the Senate for? Okay, so let me bring up a little bit of clarity on this point. Mm -hmm. And I know I've said this in, in a, couple of, uh, a couple of weeks ago. This Senate is not going to discuss doctrine, mm -hmm. period. So, again, then the, the, the objection is what that 
yes, but it's taken what, out of context. But, say, but, but if you're not going to discuss doctrine, then what are we do? What are they doing? They're almost as if there's, what, what, why would there be a purpose to this? Right. Right. There's no purpose, but the purpose is for listening. It's advisory. Right. It is advisory. So let's kind of break this down a little bit because uh, maybe I'll, I'll, there's another piece I could quote as well. Other other priests and, and even cardinals are just calling it a disaster. It's going to be the end of the church as we know it. It's going to be overturned. Um, it's going to unfold in four stages. Okay, so there was stage one that's already happened. That was uh, within the local churches, the local parishes, which by the way, in our diocese and other dioceses of the, of, of the country, less than 1% of the laity participated in this. So, all right, that's telling. Okay, fine. So that was the first stage. The second stage is happening next week, or really next month. I think the bishops, along with some clergy and laity, meet from October the 4th to the 29th. The second stage is simply presenting to the Pope and the bishops who are going to be there all the most salient points that were discussed in each continent. And that's it. <laughs> That's it. So the second year, so a year later, is just the bishops presenting? Well, the bishops will come back as for stage three, which will be next October. Right. Okay. And then they're going to present to the bishop, these are the points from last year's discussion that uh, we believe are the most critical for the evangelization or the church's mission of evangelization at stage three. And after stage three, guess what? Nothing happens. <laughs> but it is in stage four where our Holy Father will pronounce, based on the conversations, by his judgment, the direction the church needs to go. But it will not be doctrinal. It will be evangelical in, in nature. So... What I'm seeing then this, this, this month and this week leading up to this, and by the way, I think, you know, I, I think there's a good argument to make that the Senate is, I mean, it's already probably toast. I, I just think the fear-mongering is going to be so great. Uh, I, I just don't know how productive. I hope it unfolds, though, in a really holy manner. But what, what, So the point being all the fear-mongering is pointless and is futile because nothing is going to happen. There's not going to be any decisions this month at all. It's simply a conversation. You know, at the risk of going on and droning on too long, you can have a meeting in the church. You can have a meeting with your family. You can have a meeting with your in-laws. You know, and everybody, what is your opinion on topic X? What is your opinion on topic Y based on some, well, here's what I think. And all of us have had an experience where somebody brings something forward where you know <laughs> that ain't happening. <laughs> right. You know, you let them, you, but you let them speak. Right. You let them have a conversation, but you know deep down, like, there's nothing we can do about that. But mm -hmm. thanks for, thanks sure. for bringing that to our attention. Right. And I don't mean to belittle the whole thing, but yeah, there are, are there going to be some things probably spoken of by members of this uh, this synod? Yeah, that, that 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 the church can't change. Yeah, sure, mm -hmm. that's the point of it, right? Because some people just need to be able to say it, right? Um, so that they feel a part of it. Okay, I've gone on too long. Any comments, I man? What was going through your your head? Well, I think the 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 listen, listening is an art that. I'm sure all of us can say we could do better at it. Right. And I think the church is saying we can be better at it. And so some leaders think that this, that just getting together to listen seems 
useless or pointless or wasteful. Uh, okay, well, uh, if you're in an organization, a corporate organization, and you as a leader are trying to help move the church or move your organization in a particular direction or get them to be mission-minded with you and, and share your vision, and some at the table oppose, right? And you've got to be able to hear them out because we've discussed this before at other leadership conferences where if you don't hear people out, then you have what they call parking lot meetings where people go out in the parking lot and they just trash everything that's going on. It's never good, and I'm not on board, and this is awful. And uh, and these can be people that are supposed to be uh, aligned. They're, they might be staff members or they might be corporate leaders or they might be VPs in some corporation. But if they're able to speak and be heard and express where there's um, opposition or why they're experiencing or feeling this particular opposition um, and they feel heard, you can you can encourage buy-in at the end because maybe the pastor says or the CEO or the administrator says, well, okay, thank everybody for coming and we're still going to do X. We're going to go this direction. Well, there was some discussion and arguments and maybe even some drama, but in a in a place where that was allowed where people could express and talk and then when the meetings adjourned what you you're hoping to have is that everybody is all on the same page now because they they they're buying into it so i felt heard even though i know father heard my points and uh father didn't go that way but or the vp of the corporation or the ceo or whatever it might be some leader so corporate organizations understand this very well so now, their voices might be helpful here to express, you know, church isn't just a, isn't just a corporation. I get it. But it is a corporate entity mm-hmm. with a hierarchy. And there is, and synods are not a foreign element of the church, as we're learning. They've been around for centuries. And so uh, the church and her leaders has always sought counsel. Even in parishes, parishes are have pastoral councils and finance council. And we pastors are to be solicitous about getting counsel from learned experienced individuals and even just from uh, parishioners well what's the venue to do that when you're the holy father what's the way uh, to do that and if he's the leader of the church now and feels that maybe no one's listening anymore or he needs to listen or trying to take stock of the global church it is global whether you like it or not (laughs) Uh, how do you do that so i suppose this is the way he's employing which is not a synod is not a foreign element of the church so and as you said there are going to be a lot of discussions on just a lot of listening a lot of listening on a lot of things right so so, so the same priest says to someone else i have a feeling that changing church teaching on homosexuality is going to be on the agenda at this synod and this is going to be a moment of crisis for the church um, and this is uh, someone who appears on a, a, a television show on a pretty popular, you know, uh, network that I'm going to keep anonymous, but we all know what this is. Um, so the, the homosexuality is going to be on the agenda. First of all, uh, we're not talking about doctrine. Second, it's kind of an American-centric bias here. We think homosexuality is the most important thing. But we're the Catholic faith. There are going to be nations from representatives from all over the world there where this isn't the most important thing at all. Mm-hmm. It's just for for us. Right. Um, 
there was this article that was quoted from uh, her last name is Osman, and she was the Vatican's dicastery for communication. She's the consultant for the Vatican's dicastery for communication. She says, I don't even think we're going to talk about some of these things. Mm-hmm. She says, uh, the global south have more pressing issues related to climate change, mass migration caused by environmental degradation and political instability. So this is just a way to get clicks and eyeballs. That's my opinion. This is my opinion. It's just a way to uh, kind of gin up some fear, manufacture a little bit of hysteria. And, but this is going to be much ado about nothing mm-hmm. at the end of October. And we're going to get the draft, maybe, of what was discussed. Maybe we won't. But uh, we're going to walk outside. We're going to go to Holy Mass. And it's going to be a beautiful Mass. And, right. gonna, and we're going to see our neighbors. And the sky will be blue and, <laughs> and everything. And we're still going to be there. Right. Uh, this, is, this month, in 2023, this is conversation. It will be 2025 before the Pope makes any kind of official statement. You know? Right. And then when that happens, we'll, I mean, there, can, there will be no, I'm sure, shortage of uh, responses well, or opinions I, about that. But I think, but I think that maybe what we can all do is take a deep breath and wait and see and listen and pray for this. This is an official, this is a legitimate gathering of the, of, of the church, of the Holy Father, of bishops, and, and, and all of, uh, all areas of the church are gathering. This is a very real event. This is, this is happening, yeah. and we need to pray that the Holy Spirit be be guiding them. And we, we pray to the Holy Spirit at our staff meetings. You know, for guys, we, we, you can't. We, the the Holy Spirit always needs to be guiding the church at every level, whether from your kitchen table or from the the, the four hundred person panel in the Senate in Rome. So we have to realize that God is doing something in his church all the time and we need to discern and uh and and pray for that his will be manifest with clarity and uh be upheld uh in all ages that we have to pray for the pope not just because it's pope francis but because we've been asked to pray for the pope for centuries by saint and all the saints prayed for the holy father whoever that was and prayed for the church and sacrificed for the church and um, defended the church and so we need to have a holy attitude of the saints, uh, when we look at the synod and uh, its proceedings, and respect that it that it's to be, the Holy Father wishes it to be to be private. So, don't dig around and don't go into those go through those doors where people are professing to have information. Which, as you said, yeah, if they're putting that out there and they're from the synod, then those members are are already defying the Holy Father in a very disrespectful uh, manner and only adding to divisiveness. It's very political in nature. And, of course, yeah, we want the Holy Spirit to guide it. But, see, as Catholics, we know, we know that there is one seat, one office that the Holy Spirit guarantees to guide the church. So, therefore, we, again, we have nothing to fear. You know, the more I am uh, learning about Pope Francis, the more I realize his way, he... We we in the in, in in the West we're we're pretty black and white on things. There's Coke and there's Pepsi. There's left and there's right. Pope Francis comes from a part of the world, and his his thinking is that okay, if you got two extremes or two polar, polarities, how can we put them in conversation with each other to really get at what the truth is? And that's how he operates. Hmm. That's you know? well said. I'm, well, but that's that's. But I like that. That's very clear, and and I I see that as his methodology and why that frightens people but uh isn't that 
some of the, the most amazing discussions, debates, and things when you bring two people that are polar opposites to the table. Some some would call that marriage. <laughs> you know, a man and woman from two a man and woman from two different <laughs> worlds uh, yes. decide to li- to live together the rest of their lives in the marital covenant. But we should we should take a step back and restart ourselves spiritually and. I mean, the synod, Benedict XVI had a synod on the Word of God, one of the last right. things he did. So, and this where's all the, church for, for where's all the frenzy synods? reading that 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 synodal document? That was a great synod, and of course, you know, Word of God people, yeah, yawn, you, you know, well, th- that was discussing what the, the place of Word of God in the church. Yeah, that's right. So maybe we should take stock of what we're really worried about. And, and look at the past synods that, uh, I mean, uh, he also had one on the, at the close of the year of the Eucharist. He wrote a document called Sacramento Caritatis. Or, yes. or either, or was it Sacramento, Sacramento Caritatis and post-synodal exhortation. Where's, yes. Where's the frenzy over that, you know? Right. Everybody read that already? Yeah. On exactly. board with it? <laughs> yes. So that's what, what, so what, what, what our Holy Father is doing is trying to find the synthesis the thesis, the antithesis, the synthesis. And so you got the German bishops where he's already dismissed what they did. They're not, they're not serious. And he says that's ideology. And then you got those in America who are on the opposite side. And he says that, that's not serious. That's ideology. I'm going to bring those two in the room. And we're going to find uh, what the Holy Spirit is calling us to. But uh, this Holy Father will never change church teaching. But can the church develop its approach to evangelization within the context of the church's teaching? Yes, it can, and uh, it must mm-hmm. in the 21st century. And that will hopefully be the fruit uh, from these, uh, these three years, or two years, plus the third when the Holy Father writes his exhortation. So that's, right. what, that's what this is. Yeah. And um, if, if, if anybody, and I'm going to say this before I forget, if anybody, if you're watching a news channel or YouTube channel and there's somebody who is leaking what is being discussed. Turn it off. Turn it off because, number one, uh, the Pope wants confidentiality on this. He does not want cameras in the courtroom, so to speak. And can you blame him? No. <laughs> Can you blame him? My goodness. But if anybody reports on any one thing that they overheard, we're only in the context of a conversation. So if somebody has a, they, well, I overheard the, 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 the synod, they were talking about uh, women ra- rabbits or ri- buddy rabbits or wi- women deacons or who knows, there's no need to sound the alarm. It's nothing more than a discussion. It's going to last a while. It'll be serious, and at times maybe it'll be heated. We're not privy to that. Right. But the person who leaked, um, I would I would hold them in question to have some questionable character, right? Because the Holy Father said, "Let's let's just keep right. this between us." Yeah. Yep. So I find this to be exciting. I'm looking forward to what the exhortation is going to be. But that's still 2025. Everybody, just take a deep breath. It's going to be all right. And and recognize that in the end, the church still does move quite slowly. Slowly. <laughs> it moves very slowly. Yeah, but I think this will be good for the evangelization mm-hmm. of uh, of the future. Um, so that's that's my story. That's all right. How I well, got thank today. you. That's great. Yeah. So we're looking forward to this great weekend of the, the, the feast of the archangels. We're going to have a feast ourselves. We are. We're going to torch the mortgage. We yeah. praise God for paying off the church after twenty plus years, and give thanks to God for 
for the generosity of the faithful and have a great barbecue with everybody and some great activities for kids. You have a bouncy house coming, I think, and some who knows what else uh, fun and activities. You'll to go on a retreat, won't you? And then I'll go on the diocesan uh, priest retreat for the for our diocese uh, next week in Maggie Valley, the annual retreat. So very much looking forward to that. Yeah. So yeah. So we won't have a podcast with you next week. No, you have to get a special guest. Yeah. When, the, when the senior pastor goes away, I always think of the story of Moses. You know, you, you might have to be covering. I might, I might go around saying, "You might have to just jewelry, go. Give me your jewelry. Let's let's put this. See what comes out of this out of this cauldron. You know, that's a joke about Moses might, when he went away. Yeah. Right. The parochial vicar. <laughs> he went crazy. <laughs> <laughs> but I hope you enjoy the retreat. Yeah, we'll do. That's uh, every year, isn't it? Every year. Uh, for all the priests will be there. Yep. Well, I can't call on another priest to come uh, here as well. Oh, the Benedictines at Belmont Abbey will be around. They always uh, have their own retreats. So. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, I'm going to be paying attention to the Synod. Maybe there'll be some uh, You'll news probably have something to say about but it I next week. I do want week. us to talk about uh, his uh, encyclical because I'm trying to find out, like, what's the truth of the, some of these um, these reactionaries that are reacting against certain things that Pope Francis have said, especially in his written documents. Mm. And one of those is Amortis Amortis Leticia on a divorce, those in irregular marriages. And there's a lot of misinformation about that. So I I would like maybe us to have a conversation to bring some clarity about what uh, the Pope is really saying in that document. So let's uh, do that. uh, Looking looking forward to that. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. God bless you this weekend. Uh, If you want more information about our parish, please visit our website at stmccg.org. Until next time, thank you so much, and stay on the bark of Peter. God bless.